Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash I am divine 2022. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually consciously living today. Here's your host, Yogacharya, Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today I'll be uh, sharing with you some insights from an illumined life, an illumined yogi for all times. I'm sitting here uh, looking at uh, the cover of a book that has two amazing photographs on it. One is the photograph of a very young child with soulful eyes. And you see those soulful eyes in a man uh, right towards the end of his life. The life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. And we are so privileged today to be able to talk with Philip Goldberg, the author of this new book just released about the life of Yogananda. I just want to share one uh, little blurb about it before we get into it. He was called by the Los Angeles Times the 20th century's first superstar guru. And today, nearly a century after he arrived in the United States, he's still the best known and most beloved of all the Indian spiritual teachers who have come to the West. Now, finally, Paramahansa Yogananda has the authoritative biography he deserves. So, of course, I have been a long-time devotee in the tradition of Paramahansa Yogananda, and the book is a special interest to me. Um, But I know that um, it's a special interest to all who are um, practicing a path of yoga or even um, the way of meditation and spiritually conscious living. What can we learn from his life? And this book, I must say, um, shows us that and much more. So in just a moment, um, we'll chat with Phil Goldberg. Phil, I want to say hi. Um, Welcome to the Yoga Hour. Good morning. It's great to be with you again. Thank you for being back with us. Um, I want to uh, remind our listeners who have not met Phil yet that Philip Goldberg is the author and co-author of numerous books, including American Veda, From Emerson and the Beatles to Yoga and Meditation, How Indian Spirituality Changed the West. And, of course, um, that was the most excellent book. If you haven't read it, you must, because it gives uh, just a tremendously insightful overview of the way in which uh, yoga has impacted life in the West and really changed a trajectory of our culture, I think, by changing consciousness. And he's done it again, um, and this time, of course, in a different way. But with this new book, The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. Phil is a public speaker and workshop leader, a spiritual counselor, meditation teacher, and ordained interfaith minister. 
he co-hosts a wonderful uh, podcast called Spirit Matters, and he leads American Beta Tours uh, to India. Uh, he regularly blogs on Elephant Journal and Spirituality and Health, and his websites are philipgoldberg.com and spiritmatterstalk.com. That's philipgoldberg.com and spiritmatterstalk.com. So before we begin our conversation, um, Phil, about this amazing life and what we can learn from it, let's take uh, just a moment for a centering meditation. Let's take a moment to simply bring our attention within. And we can do that so easily with the breath, beginning to notice our own breath. And feel the breath coming in. And as you feel the breath in your nostrils and you feel the coolness of the air, combine that feeling of the breath coming in with attention pulling in. Feel as if you are diving within. Diving within into the infinite ocean of divine consciousness. That one Reality called by many names, God, Father, Mother, Spirit, Ultimate Reality, the Self, with a capital S, that when you breathe in, simply feel that you are diving within and connecting or reconnecting to your essence of being and breathing out, simply letting go of distraction or tension, relaxing, being aware in this yoga moment. Yoga means to bind back, and it's really a simple return to the self, that essence of what we are, eternal, pure existence being. So sit with your breath for a moment, breathing in, breathing out, being connected, being aware, being awake. When we practice yoga like this in a simple moment of meditative awareness, drawing our attention within, letting the mind become calm and clear. We can remember the truth of our being and we can touch the peace that is within us and then simply intend to take that peace with us into our day. And today, as we learn more about the life of the great yogi, Paramahansa Yogananda, we can remember his advice that it's possible to take that portable peace with us wherever we go. Let's do that. Ooh. 
As I mentioned in the opening of today's program, you know, I have been a devotee of Paramahansa Yogananda uh, for many decades, and um, I first learned about him through my guru, Roy Jean Davis, who is a direct disciple of Paramahansa Yogananda, and he, of course, has written about him in, in all of his books. Um, including one called Paramahansa Yogananda, As I Knew Him. Um, but Phil, your book um, takes us um, in, a, in a different direction from Autobiography of a Yogi, which is a book known by millions um, throughout the world and, and a book which um, introduced many people to Paramahansa Yogananda. In that book, you know, we learn about the lives of other saints and yogis. In your book, we really get to look at the life of um, Paramahansa Yogananda and in particular his later life as he was building an organization and uh, teaching and traveling all across America. Um, uh, and I want to say something about your book before, before we Please. hear from you, which is, uh, of course, I, I love this book. And, you know, as a devotee um, of Paramahansa Yogananda, I couldn't be uh, more inspired and delighted uh, about this book. Um, and there's many reasons for that. And uh, at the top of my list is your writing, Phil. You know, of course, you are a masterful writer. Uh, we learned that from American Beta. Um, and part of that is the, the journalistic uh, rigor, which you have um, applied to looking at the history of Paramahansa Yogananda's life. So it's it's factual. It brings new things, new information to us that we didn't uh, learn from Autobiography of a Yogi. It's, a, it's clear. Um, it, but the book is also spiritually sound. Um, and so it doesn't disappoint in that way. You know, your, your many decades as a practitioner of uh, yoga philosophy yourself um, – has shined a light, you know, through your writing. So the book is wise, spiritually sound, and it's accessible, and it's warm, and it's um, it's witty. So I, I I enjoyed reading the book as well as uh, learned from it. So I could go on and on about it, but I think we should we should hear from you about it. And the first question I have uh, for you um, is, you know, what is it? that, you know, compelled you and inspired you to write uh, a book about Paramahansa Yogananda, which, of course, is no small undertaking. No, it was not small in, at all. It was years of work. Um, well, there's two things. One, I read Autobiography of a Yogi in, like, 1970, and um, I still have that copy, even though I moved cross-country three or four times and, you know, had a lot of changes in my life. I still have that copy. I know I could not have afforded to buy a hardcover book in 1970, so I probably um, borrowed it and never returned it. <laughs> so I wrote the autobiography. I wrote my biography to uh, repent. <laughs> to atone for <laughs> for to having atone a, for not kept, returning kept the, the book. copy. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, 
the, the, the other reasons is when I, I always admired Yogananda and uh, learned a lot from him. I never became a formal student of his or a disciple, and I think that turned out to be uh, advantageous in writing his biography because I came at it um, as an uh, objective reporter. Um, yes, I want I to say, the- yes, that's true as an objective reporter, but you also um, bring to the book your own years of um, study of yoga philosophy and meditation practice and uh, yes. you know, a, a spiritual teacher in your own right. So it's not um, just a journalistic look at the life of Yogananda. It, it also is a uh, uh, you have captured, you know, the heart and the the spirit of this um, saint, which you, you couldn't have done without your spiritual practice. No, I, I I appreciate that you said that very much, and um, and it's true. So I have a a certain credibility and a certain um, background that made me a good choice for doing this. But disciples write different kinds of books. You mentioned Roy's book, for example. Now, Roy's book was one of uh, the sources I could draw on uh, because he and other disciples wrote sort of memoirs about the Yogananda they knew, but they did not write complete biographies, um, and no one had. When I was researching American Veda, um, I came to even appreciate his contribution to the spiritual landscape of uh, the world in the 20th century, even more than I had before. But I also became fascinated by his human story, the personal story of Mukunda Lal Ghosh, who grew up to become Yogananda, and then the Paramahansa Yogananda, who, you know, had... uh, a huge impact on the spiritual development of of the Western world as well as India. So um, the human story became fascinating to me. And, of course, in in American Veda, I didn't have that much space to devote to it. One of the things I appreciate about your book is um, how you have included some uh, glimpses of the historical context, um, the times Mm -hmm. that um, uh, Paramahansaji was was living in. Um, You know, I'm looking at this chapter, for example, uh, called In the World But Not Of It, where uh, Mm -hmm. Yogananda becomes a, a swami. And um, you mentioned that at at that time, um, exactly what form his service would take did not become clear for a while, you write. Mm -hmm. And and then you write, then again, the whole world lacked clarity in 1915. Europe, and by extension India, and the rest of the British Empire was embroiled in the Great War. Uh, One-sixth of all British forces, more than a million strong, were Indian conscripts. And anyway, you go on um, to mm-hmm. talk about the tensions in the world at various points. And I and I think that, you know, when we look at the life of a great sage, a great man like Yogananda, um, 
there's a tendency not to have a sense of uh, of the world that they were living in. You know, today, those yeah, of us yeah, who are practicing yeah. yoga say, you know, we have it so rough because of what's going on, you know, in the <laughs> political climate. And, you know, how can, we, how can we possibly rise to spiritual heights in the midst of this? But then when we look at the context that Yogananda was living in, um, it was not a piece of cake. Oh my goodness, no! And that—that that, uh, thanks for singling that out. That's one of the things I thought I could contribute. Is um, you know he lived for fifty-nine years. Roughly half of that was in India, which was being occupied by <clears throat> the colonial power by the Brits. It was not. It was a different world, and he lived through two world wars. He taught in the West through the Roaring Twenties, the Great Depression, World War II. Um, All these things had an impact on him. Growing up in India, being a teenager in Calcutta, um, that's very different from if he had been a teenager in, you know, some small town or village. Uh, Calcutta was like New York in those days. And um, so, you know, what effect did that have on him? I wanted to explore all that in ways that um, he could not, in writing his own autobiography, he could not have the same historical perspective. And he left a lot out of his autobiography. Um, That's one of the the things that compelled me to write the book and uh, got publishers interested was the fact that this iconic memoir um, was really, you know, a lot about other people, not just about him. Mm-hmm. And and less than 10% of it's about his life after he comes to America. Exactly. And, I feel like in the autobiography of a yogi, um, we learn about Yogananda as a disciple. You know, mm-hmm. we learn that he really lets us see into his heart and soul, you know, his yearning for God, his meeting, you know, his yearning to meet his guru and, and to and to live that life he was destined to live. Um, but your book really then picks up um, more, you know, with Yogananda, the man, you know, as he developed yeah. into yeah. A, a world a teacher, um, a, a sage and... Um, and and really a saint. And, you know, what what does that look like? And how did somebody like that, you know, manage building an organization? And, you know, how did he raise funds during the Depression? You know, yeah, those, yeah. those are real questions, right? Oh, yes. And they, you know, that's why I focused on the human story, because I didn't want to write the life of a saint. That's That's what disciples do. And there's value in that. But I was writing the human story. He, you know, he he was not the same person when he was 27 and came to America as he was when he was in his 50s. You know, whatever you think Yogananda was, you know, and people think he was an incarnation of God and he was a saint and all that, whatever you think. It's clear from the evidence that, you know, he was a growing, learning, evolving human being (laughs) who Mm -hmm. did things, made decisions, made mistakes, learned things, you know, and uh, like uh, in many ways the rest of us. And he evolved spiritually. You know, one of the things I do in the book is recount uh, his own descriptions of some of his spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. Spiritual breakthroughs that you know we can all identify with or aspire to, um, and so these 
and 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 the human struggle, as you said, you know, raising funds, paying the mortgage, lawsuits, all kinds of stuff that he endured and had to live through as a human being. I think, to me, is you know one of the most instructive aspects of uh, reading about any great individual, but particularly a great spiritual teacher. Is you know how do they deal with the human ups and downs that we all encounter and wish we didn't have to? Exactly, and and you talk about um, you know this this kind of push pull in inside of um, his his soul that that Yogananda had from a very early age of you know really wanting to be uh, a monk um, to go off to the Himalayas and be in a cave and you know those uh, aborted attempts and you know finding you know that his path was to of course um, live in that cave of the heart um, to know God as the very life that we live and then to teach others that. You you wrote, um, Sri Yukteswar made it clear that Swami Yogananda Giri was to be an active monk who would serve the greater good without concern for personal re- reward. One who rejects the responsibilities of family life, he told the newly minted Swami, must assume responsibility for the larger human family. As a result, the push and pull between detachment and worldly engagement that Yogananda said he felt even in the womb would remain with him for the rest of his life. And so, um, you know, you've written very eloquently about about that pull that, that, that he had, um, which is the pull that we all have, really. And, um, and I like the way that you've positioned the book to help us see that these struggles um, are not just the struggles of, of, of a great spiritual master, but the struggles that we all have. How do we live as spiritually awake beings in the world? That's right, and um, I to me, it's um, we. Many people on spiritual path think, you know, once I evolve to a certain point, then life will be easy, and <laughs> um, and 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 if you interpret, you know, spiritual literature a certain way, you can easily get that impression. I know I did. Um, I thought, oh, you know, I, there won't be any pain, there won't be any sorrow, you know, but no, we're still human. So we're still going to get sick and people are going to die and, you know, the wrong people are going to get elected and, and you know, we're, our finances will go up and down and we'll have relationship issues. And uh, part of the evolution is to maintain our inner peace in the midst of it all, and to handle it with grace and dignity and, and you know, improve the karma as we, as we develop. And you see it in his life. He never stopped worrying about money, you know, for to support his, his work. And, and the, even toward the end of his life, when he, he knew he didn't have long to live, he was concerned about his legacy and, you know, the, how it would endure. Um, and there were times when you could see in his letters he would say, you know, I, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I'm going back to. I want to go back to India. I, I just want to be a simple monk in a you know cave mm-hmm. and commune with God. But again, there is that because, there is that push pull again, and, yeah. and we saw a little wisp of that, you know, a little tiny wisp of it in Autobiography of a Yogi, right towards the end, yeah. where he talks about you know um, loving the life of um, shepherding so many people, you know. 
in into the uh, kingdom of realization. He, those weren't his words, but you know uh, that loving that life of having this great uh, spiritual family and connection to so many. But then when the bills would roll in <laughs> um, to headquarters, um, that 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 would concern him. So he he left that little scent, and uh, then you picked up on what you know. What did that look like in in his life every day? What what would you say was one of the most surprising things you discovered? about how he uh, approached life as you did this research? Well, the most surprising thing was, in fact, what we were just talking about, how difficult it was and how much, you know, how many challenges he had to face and how um, that uh, inner struggle of wanting to um, fulfill his mission and at the same time uh, prefer the simple life of a monk. That that was most surprising aspect of my my research there were a lot of other little surprises along the way um and one of the one of them was the degree to which he was um informed and engaged about world conditions mm. um he was a renunciate but he you know and he was in the world fulfilling his mission but in his work in his talks in his essays um, he addressed world problems uh, very forcefully, and and from a fairly, you know, from what seems to be a very well informed uh, perspective, he he was very outspoken in the support of the Indian freedom movement and Gandhi's efforts. Uh, he come during the depression. He was very outspoken about the uh, the, the uh, conditions uh, the destitute were living in and the, the greed at the you know top of the heap. He would he would have been you know railing about the one percent sort of thing and and the you know um, uh, in the build up to the war he had a lot to say and you know so he 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 was uh, much more engaged in the world than I I would have anticipated. So there were little surprises along the way. The the other little things, like um, not so little, but things people don't know that you know he was here teaching, and the, you know the British were running their empire, which was under threat from the freedom movement. And well, were, you know, it's really interesting to to hear this. You know that of course he was making the teachings relevant um, for the times people live in, and that's part of the legacy that he left. When we come back from the break. Um, let's let's talk more about that, Phil. Um, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our uh, guest today, Philip Goldberg, author of the phenomenal new book, The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. We'll be right back. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. This programming is made possible through the generous donations of listeners like you. 
If you feel inspired by this programming, we invite you to contribute. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make your offering today. Thank you for your support. It's not about all the rules that you have in, in other churches. And just come and visit one time and see what you think. When I first walked in the door here, I knew nothing about it. They had a slogan on the wall that said, One God, Many Paths. And that kind of made me listen harder for quite a while. And everything I heard was consistent with that, which meant this wasn't like any church I'd been to before. And it just keeps unfolding. The big lesson, there are so many, but the big lesson is to trust, to have faith, to meditate, and to be open to learning and seeing the world in very diverse perspectives. Find out more. Visit unity.org. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Reverend Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, living the love, walking the talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. What does unity mean to me? We came at a time in our lives when it was just the right time. We needed uh, we needed to work on our spiritual lives, and it just felt like such an awesome fit. I think it's about um, knowing that you have um, the power through prayer and thought to change your life, to control your life. It is my spiritual home. It is my community. It is a place where I am affirmed. I was so fed up with the traditional way in which, quote, religion, end of quote, was activating things around the world. And one of my students suggested that I come. And on that particular Sunday, and I share this with Wendy all the time, she spoke only to me. And I found a community. Find out more. Visit unity.org. To join the show, use the live chat window or call now, 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien. And today I'm speaking with Philip Goldberg, author of the new book, The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. 
and you can learn more about um, Phil and about his work um, at his websites, philipgoldberg.com and spiritmatterstalk.com. And, of course, you can um, find the book. Is the book available right now, Phil? Yes, indeed. Indeed, so you can, get, in, <laughs> you, you can get that book at wherever you purchase your books. Can people get it on your site uh, as well? Well, they find can a, find a link, link from my site to okay. the usual booksellers. Okay, so wherever you um, get your books, um, get this one because it's available and it's just come out at the time that we're we're offering this podcast. And um, we've been talking about um, the life of Paramahansa Yogananda and uh, really what we can learn from it. You know, how someone who was a great sage, a great yogi, great illumined master, dealt with the challenges of everyday life and the challenges of, of building um, uh, a legacy, a worldwide organization that would disseminate the teachings of yoga that he brought from India to the West, this uh, teachings of Kriya Yoga. Um, and of course, you spend time in your book talking about the challenges that he faced as an organizational leader and, and really as a, a businessman that is, is required to do something like that, as well as um, a, a spiritual sage. So um, you do spend time in your book, too, looking at... Um, his young life, you know, that's kind of the portents that were there of of this um, life that would blossom into the life that would become Paramahansa Yogananda. Well, what did you um, learn about Mukunda, uh, about this young like young boy? Well, you know, in his autobiography, he he devotes a lot of time to his family, his upbringing, and so forth. And I, and I have to say, one of the charms of uh, his autobiography is that most gurus don't write very much or talk very much about their personal lives or their pre-guru lives, pre-Swami lives. But he did, and it's charming. But there were things left out, and um, I, I managed to add stuff to it and, and add uh, context to it. Um, one of the most interesting things is he knew his destiny to a certain extent as a as a boy i mean when you know he was very athletic that was interesting to discover he was a very good athlete and but he was also a leader um and that mark of a leader and a spiritual leader specifically was was there in his um early years you know, he he was going to see gurus and swamis and and doing pujas at home. <laughs> you know, when he was a boy, mm-hmm. and, you know, when most kids are, you know, mostly you know playing with toys and doing all that sort of stuff. He had that orientation very early age, and when he was old enough, you know, like adolescence, um, to to sort of be a, a leader of you know his peers were you know most people uh, we're familiar with sort of natural leaders young people and junior high and high school who you know are the sort of ringleaders and you know but they're usually organizing ball games or parties or you know mischief or whatever and he he was organizing satsangs 
He was mm-hmm. gathering his people to for long meditations and to you know to go to the the, the temples at festivals and to go see who, whatever Swami was around and whichever guru he heard about. Um, he also and organized. He, foot and I was going to say even forming his own little ashram. That's right. right? At fifteen, yeah. he he had his own little ashram at fifteen. It was you could see the the um, origins of. A kind of destiny right there. And it was, you know, not many people do that when they're, you know, 14 and 15 years old, but, you know, that's what he was doing. That's where his passion was. And And one of the things, one of the things you show that, that I think is, um, it just just a profound uh, insight for us to be aware of is that you know we do see um, and like you mentioned you know there's maybe kids that are natural leaders and we see tendencies of the potential of a life to come in many children um, but one of the main distinctions is that Yogananda himself was aware of his own destiny right um, you yeah. know, he had he had a sense of his life purpose from the very beginning you know and even beyond of course um, <clears throat> what his parents um, and and uh, elder uh, siblings thought it should be right oh my um, goodness yes he, he um, <laughs> you know it was <laughs> he knew he was called to the spiritual life and and in a deep and profound way he he knew he was to renounce the world and they they kept trying to arrange marriages and they you know they made sure he you know he 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 finished college you know to satisfy his parents and his guru but he had really no interest in that he just wanted to become a swami and renounce the world and be a monk the part about being a world teacher um he you could see the tendency, but um, there was even when he was young, there was the tendency to organize and teach others and bring knowledge out to the world, but also a tendency to just want to go off in, into seclusion. And you know, we all have to to some degree a similar. Uh, mm-hmm push and pull within us anybody on a spiritual path longs to just go off to med- you know meditation retreats but then wants to come back into the world so we come back mm-hmm. and forth and you see that in his early life i don't think he had, he didn't as a boy anticipate you know that he'd go you know to america and all that although he was told that he was destined to do that. Mm-hmm. But when the time came, you know, there was a little bit of an inner struggle. But yeah. he, he did it. And when he came to America, you know, it wasn't long before he was attracting thousands of people to his lectures. Yeah, and you know, he, it started small. You know, he was like, you know, speaking to a, 10 or 12 people in people's living rooms for a while. <laughs> and then it grew. And then, and so you know, what did you what did you see um, in looking at it about why you know why did that blossom like that you know how well, did it one thing, how did it move from that small group of people in a living room um, to thousands yeah. of people uh, standing uh, in line and not even able to get into the auditorium to hear him speak. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal when you think this was the early 20s and, you know, it's not like he got a big break and went on Oprah. Exactly. <laughs> so, you know, you know, so, well, for 
there are a couple of interesting things about that. One, uh, you could say in general, one, he was a very charismatic and magnetic uh, teacher and speaker. People were drawn to him. You know, there was a natural audience for what he had to, to say. And, and the, to me, the main credit goes to the efficacy of his teachings, because he could have been the most charismatic person in the world, uh, but if what he was teaching didn't have practical value in people's lives, you know, it just would have died. But the teachings mm-hmm. do have practical value, and the methods he taught do help people and transform their lives. So they tell their friends, and he gets newspaper articles and all that, and it grew. But the other piece of it was, you know, he had people around him in the early days who convinced him uh, to adopt some of the American marketing techniques and to do things, you know, in a way that is not done in India. So they advertised. So he would give free lectures and then follow the free lectures with uh, courses, more practical courses, that people would pay for. So they had a budget and they could advertise <laughs> all the usual American so, stuff. So, that, so you, you have know, these he, heights of spiritual realization and spiritual teachings that are offered and also this very practical side of Paramahansa Yogananda, which said, right. okay, let's advertise. And, um, you know, and let's that, adapt that mix, to the course, American way of life. Yeah, and it's a it's a winning formula. And you know what you were saying, of course, about the teachings um, being transformative and his ability um, to be an agent of that transformation. You know, um, is of course at the heart of this of the great success. And you think of um, you know James Lynn, um, who later became Rajasi Janakananda, who who came uh, and and met Yogananda. And immediately felt uh, a change, you know, from a worried mind um, to a calm mind. And uh, he wanted to, you know, learn more about um, what happened, right? So I would think that many of the people who came and and perhaps uh, many of them also who then, you know, later became supporters of his work, uh, like James Lynn did, um, were those who who experienced um, a transformation being in Yogananda's presence and learning to practice the teachings that he offered. Um, Tell us a little bit about the people who came to support Yogananda's work in America. Well, you know, one of the interesting things is he didn't step into a vacuum. Um, There were other teachers from India who preceded him, the most illustrious of whom was Swami Vivekananda, who came here to to America uh, and made a big splash in 1893, the very year that Yogananda was born. And um, when Yogananda, especially in his years in Calcutta, um, Vivekananda would have been an inspiration to them. You, you go to, I take tours to India now. One of the places we go is to Calcutta and we go to places associated with Yogananda and with Vivekananda. Um, and, uh, if anybody's interested who's listening, just go to my website and look at the tours. We're going in September. But, um, where Vivekananda grew up is a short walk to where Yogananda lived as a, in his teenage and college years. So there, there were Vivekananda lineage swamis 
in America. There were the occasional yoga teachers who would come and go, and there was the influence that I of of all the people I, I wrote about in American Veda. Emerson and Thoreau and the New Thought Movement, they were the sort of natural constituency for Yogananda when he came in the 20s. There were already people who were reading Indian philosophy and interested in New Thought and interested in uh, uh, you know other swamis and so forth. And so they were the ones drawn to him, people with a metaphysical bent. But then other people came along. It was an era of people were exploring the nature of the mind and, and the universe in physics and psychology. There were people just interested in improving their lives. You know, how do I be more happy? How do I be more successful? How do I be more healthy? And he learned to address those practical issues, not just give, um, you know, Hindu philosophy or yoga philosophy and meditation practices, but to speak about the practical impact of those teachings on the things people were interested in. And as always, people were interested in better health and more happiness and, you know, finding a soulmate and all the usual. You know. Yeah, and making the um, these ancient uh, teachings uh, accessible and uh, universal so that regardless of a person's religious background, um, they could benefit from the That's way right. that he offered the teachings of yoga. Yes, and that's, you know, that was key to the success of all the gurus who came here who made an impact, and he used a kind of prototype for that to um, make it very clear that while he's a Hindu monk, uh, there's nothing uh, specific, nothing about it that requires you becoming Hinduized or anything like that. And so he addressed, you know, this predominantly Christian nation um, in terms that were compatible with their own uh, religious beliefs or, you know, or and, and if people were secular and uh, scientific, the teachings can apply in those ways as well. They're universal teachings and, and not anything that conflicts with uh, people's uh, points of view um, and uh, belief systems. Um, so, and he, he was a great lover of Jesus. I mean, you know, this is one of the things that uh, is most interesting about Yogananda's life, all the gurus, all people, most people in India, all the swamis, uh, hold Jesus in high regard as a, a great teacher or an incarnation of God. But um, Yogananda actually addressed Jesus's life and teachings in a in a way that was way beyond what most of the other gurus did, and in fact includes him in his uh, lineage. Well, I think that this part of the um, the legacy that was entrusted to him, even you know, going back to the inspirations from Mahavatar Babaji to his guru, Sri Yukteswar, to show the harmony um, between the world's religions and in particular between the East and West, between Hinduism or Sanatana Dharma and Christianity. And, you know, Sri Yukteswar had, uh, and Lahiri Mahashaya both, had amazing um, teachings, writings, 
writings about the the esoteric metaphysical uh, insights into um, the scriptures. And uh, so Yogananda was able to bring that. And I think, you know, and even today as we teach um, Kriya Yoga at the center and as I've learned from from my own teacher, Roy Jean Davis, um, there are many Christians who breathe uh, a breath of fresh air (laughs) when when the teachings of yoga, you know, shine a light into these deep metaphysical truths that are there, of course, in all religions, but in particular to be able to see them in Christianity. Um, so yes. that that seems to me to be a part of it too. That that was part of his mission to show that harmony yes. and to show that. Yes, depth. and I've I've encountered countless people who um, grew up in in one Christian church or another and then just uh, rejected it. Um, and then uh, through Yogananda's work um, and his commentary on on what how he sees Jesus and 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 his teachings uh come back to have a different kind of appreciation for their own tradition and their relationship to uh, uh the Jesus who might be their you know ideal their spiritual ideal but they you know the trappings around it uh they couldn't endure but they come back to it in that way and of course if you're if you're a fundamentalist christian you'll find yogananda's interpretation um unacceptable <laughs> but you know that's you yeah know, that's, because it is a it is a metaphysical interpretation right. which he also applied you know to um other teachings as well including the bhagavad gita so we find yes, you know yes. that and, approach. and uh, the rubaiyat of omar khayyam Mm-hmm, exactly. And, you know, so those who are, are looking for the inner meaning uh, of the scriptures um, will will take great uh, heart at, at reading uh, his writings. And he had, um, of course, a particular knack. Um, not only for accessing that, you know, through his illumined consciousness, but, but for being able to express it and to make it accessible to people. Um, yes. I, I remember, you know, for me, one of the uh, things that excited me the most about Autobiography of a Yogi was the footnotes. <laughs> you, yeah, you know, because he was, that them. was the, the place where he was showing a lot of times, you know, the, the deep harmony between the world's uh, scriptures. And, you know, before that, I had never really encountered that. So that was an eye-opener to me from the beginning. And and the other thing with um, Paramahansa Yogananda, um, you know, besides his insistence that, you know, we we are all destined to awaken and, you know, we can, we can live our lives, um, focused on self-realization. Of course, that was, that was it. But beyond yeah. that, you know, for me was also the introduction to the divine as mother, you know, yeah. as a Western, Westerner, I had never been introduced, you know, to my own mother before Paramahansa Yogananda. And, um, so that was a beautiful gift from yes, him. That, and that's, a, that's of course, a, a, a built into, you know, what you refer to as Sanatana Dharma or the, you know, the, the Vedic uh, heritage is, you know, that the divine can be seen as masculine or feminine or neither and mm-hmm. or beyond all of that. And, and Yogananda interchangeably would say use father and mother. Mm-hmm. And uh, but he was he had a, the devotional side of him was was very inclined toward uh, the divine mother, which brings me to another uh, interesting point about his youth, which was uh, the the death of his mother when he was eleven. 
Mm-hmm. And I found it incredibly endearing to look into that and the impact it had on, on his life at that tender age and uh, to, to admire the candor with which he wrote about the grief that he encountered and how it, you know, it endured. Um, there was a lot of death in his life. His older brother died. His mother died when he was 11. Uh, eventually, you know, Sri Yukteswar would die. And, you know, he, he had to deal with that stuff. And even though he was a great yogi, um, one misses. And later he had disciples, of course, that passed on before That's him. That's right. That's um, right. And you, uh, Sister Gyanamata, you know, being one That's who right. he cared very deeply for. So you're right. You know, when we look at this life and, and that, that went through, you know, all of the emotions, of course, that we all go through. And one of the things that we see in his life, um, that of course is evident in your book is, is what an amazing balanced, um, human being. <laughs> um, like you're talking about his devotion and the devotion that, that, that blossomed in some ways out of the pain of losing his mother, but was part of his nature. Um, but he was also um, a very strong, you know, what we call a gyan yogi. Um, That's right. A, wis- a wisdom yogi. You know, he, he wasn't someone who was um, just flowery with his devotion. He had the devotion, and it was deep and strong, and it's still palpable in his poems uh, today and his insights. But um, his, his realization and his ability to... Um, you know, articulate the truths of the uh, of the scripture, scriptures is unparalleled. So we see well, this you know, balance. He, yes, and he lived his. Uh, you could see in his life the the four principal paths of yoga played out. And mm-hmm. he was also a karma yogi. Look, you know, look at how hard he worked. You know, and how devoted he was to his mission and how he attempted to do that in a selfless way. That is karma yoga. He was a Raj yogi. You know, one of the things to take away from his life uh, is he worked very hard. He persevered. He, he drove the people around him to work very hard. But sadhana was first and foremost, doing practice, doing his his uh, spiritual practices, making sure others did their spiritual practice. That was the highest priority. You did that first, then you did your work. And you do both in an uncompromising way. You don't, you don't sacrifice your, your spiritual practice because you're busy and hardworking. Mm-hmm. And you don't go and dwell in your spiritual practice to the point where your duties and responsibilities are neglected. So that balance was terribly important, too. And he's a good example for the rest of us in that way. Totally. And and he, he, he held up the light of play. Don't forget to play. <laughs> You know, that's right. And, yeah, no, and that, that, and that, that was, was so amazing, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, that, to be living that very full life, as you say, so grounded in spiritual practice and um, serving uh, everyone around him, uh, relentlessly serving, and yet um, ha- having the spirit of, of play. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, that was great to discover, you know, that he, as, a, as a young boy, he really had delight in uh, racing people and competitive sports. Um, and, you know, there are stories like your own Roy Eugene Davis tells a great story that I mention in the book about Yogananda challenging him to a ping pong game. And, <laughs> and this, you know, this is toward the end of his life, the last few years of his life. So, you know, he, he liked that. He, he would take, you know, gather people up spontaneously and go, you know, in, in cars to rise through the countryside. He would go to movies. They would enjoy, you know, um, concerts and that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, he, he took pleasure in being in the world, even as he, you know, longed to be in a cave. But, you know, and he loved sightseeing. One of the things I enjoyed doing in the book was uh, tracing his footsteps. Um, in 1924, he, he drove with three uh, of his students across country. This is, a, you know, not many, there were no interstate highways then. And, you know, they, and I traced their, their route and where he went sightseeing and what he said about those places and, and, you know, where he would stop for a week or two and, and teach and give lectures and, and so forth. And, and that was fascinating to, to sort of follow him as he discovers America. And, uh, he always loved sightseeing and traveling. Well, I can't really thank you enough, uh, Phil, for this glimpse. Um, uh, well, it's just more than a glimpse. It's a long, steady look into uh, the life and uh, consciousness and a legacy of Paramahansa Yogananda. So uh, thank you for writing the book, The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. I'm talking with Phil Goldberg. You can find out more about his uh, work at philgoldberg.com or spiritmatterstalk.com. If you're listening in real time, Phil will be with us at Center for You're listening to Unity Online Radio. Are you ready to experience the rich interconnection of spirituality, orientation, and identity? If so, plan to attend Liberating Your Divine Identity, a retreat at Unity Village during Pride Month, June 9th to the 12th. This soul-filled retreat is facilitated by LGBTQIA plus Unity Ministers with workshops and ceremonies to cultivate a deeper awareness of our spiritual nature. Register at unityvillage.org forward slash divine 2022 